1: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arseblog, Arsecast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? What a week. What a week it's been. Goodness gracious me. Have you ever seen anything like that before in your footballing life? It was just uh, unprecedented, I guess. Midweek Champions League action, 4-0 down from the first leg. And you're thinking, no, this is just there's literally no way. There's no way it could happen. Sure, you look at some of the players and you think, well, you know, maybe, you know, those are good players. Really good players in some cases. And you're thinking, well, I suppose it's possible, but you know, the, the odds, the likelihood of it is so slim that you don't even, you don't even really give it any, uh, real consideration beyond like, okay, sometimes, sometimes a miracle can happen. Sometimes just, it's like, All the planets aligning or lightning striking twice. Well, maybe not twice. Maybe thrice or thrice, for fifes. Lots more than five or six. I don't know. Just, you know, strange things happen sometimes. There's a man that's born who's nine foot six. That's not normal. Most people aren't nine foot six. They're much smaller than that. But sometimes there is a man who is nine foot six, and sometimes there is a football game that is also nine foot six, and you're watching it and you're going, Oh my God. I mean, when, when Giroud got the opening goal in the first couple of minutes, I was thinking, Ooh, you know, that's a bit tasty. That, that'll uh, I'll wake them up a bit, remind them that they're in a game. And just before half time, then a bit of good fortune, I guess you'd have to say, when the, the own goal went in off Mats Hummel's arse. I don't think there's any way that Aaron Ramsey's shot was going in. I think it was heading more for the corner flag than the top of the net, but you know, the keeper's left wrong footed, and then just after halftime, Ramsey himself, he gets a goal. There's a guy who's been like the butt of so much criticism for for ages and ages and ages, and he pulls off a goal like that. I mean, you run from basically your own box straight through the midfield. I mean, he's not a guy who's blessed with the, the greatest of pace, but just sometimes when you get the momentum, you push it past the defenders, and the finish waiting and waiting for the goalkeeper to get closer and closer and then just you know clipping it over him like that oh my goodness just sublime and you're thinking we've got 40 minutes here plus injury time to get the other goal to get maybe two goals to put us through and then no no what have you done what's happened here you've let Lewandowski score a goal okay it was a bit of a foul by Koscielny and the referee pointed to the spot and I suppose by the letter of the law, it's a penalty, but you know, at least it wasn't a red card for Cassiani, right? Because huh, imagine what could have happened if that had gone down. And you're thinking, okay, well, look, we gave it a good go. We gave it a good lash. Three one on the night, we've restored some pride. Uh, you know, at the very least we can hold our heads up high at this exit. and then these last these last five minutes, I mean Jesus, Christ, Alexis Sanchez, free kick into the top corner. and okay, sure. It was a bit of a dive from Theo Walcott. He's not normally that kind of guy. He's not normally that kind of player. And he was on a yellow card as well, so it was a bit of a risk. But he picked himself up, put the penalty into the top corner, and there's still a couple of minutes left. And, well, look, David Ospina has had some criticism over the years, hasn't he? Uh, but that, that that tackle when the ball was cleared from the Byron box, if he hadn't made that tackle... Well, the guy had just run through and uh, would have put the game beyond doubt. But even then, you were thinking, oh, the away goals rule. What a pain in the arse this is. This is how we're going to go out on away goals. But then, bit of midfield magic from Granite Xhaka clips the ball into the box. And who's there? It's only Nacho Monreal, the man who hasn't scored in two and a half seasons, pokes his leg out, puts the ball home, and there it is. Arsenal 6, Bayern Munich 1, and we are through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time in, what, eight years? Amazing. Carnage. Celebrations. Everyone's going mental. It's just, just bananas. <clears throat> you know, I, I prefer that world. The one that, that I just invented, to, to the real world. And I know, you know, that we're living in this computer simulation. It's obvious at this point. I know I've mentioned this before, but somebody must have the cheat codes. Arsenal don't have the cheat codes. Barcelona have, literally, the cheat codes. Instead of getting battered 10-2 on aggregate, you know, we could have been could have been enjoying the greatest comeback of all time. But, uh, but there you go. It was nice while it lasted for four minutes of... Meaningless audio. Look, um, it is what it is. It has been a, a week in which uh, our inability to compete at this level and with the big teams and with one of the best teams in Europe was brought into very, very sharp focus. We weren't anywhere near good enough in the first game. I think the first game, obviously, is where it was lost. Any complaints that we might have about the refereeing, etc., etc., are only valid in the context of that second game. You know, we might have won it. We might have won it 1-0 or 2-1, or maybe we'd we'd have got a draw or something. But, you know, it would have been better, of course, than being uh, slapped around 5-1 for the second game in succession by Bayern Munich. And there really is no greater indicator of problems at a football club than what happens on the pitch. They can be glossed over for a little while. They can be, they can be hidden from time to time. But, you know, what's happened over the last number of weeks when our title challenge was over within the space of a week or 10 days. What chance we had in Europe was gone in the first leg, even at 2-1, 3-1, you know. We could have come back to the Emirates and tried to to win a game 2-0, which wouldn't necessarily have been beyond us, or you would have hoped it wouldn't be beyond us. But, of course, we we fell to pieces in that first leg. And after Koscielny went off, we fell to pieces in the second leg. And uh, there was just a lack of organization, a lack of intelligence about the way we played in both those games. And we've been shown up, really, uh, as a football team, as a football club, I guess, in the Champions League, the big stage, everyone's watching, and you know the people I felt most sorry for? Gazprom. All the money that they've selflessly put into sponsoring the Champions League and they're expecting competitive games between the top teams in Europe and, and Arsenal haven't been able to provide that for them. So sorry to the, the good, kind people at Gazprom who only have football's best interests at heart. We've let you down. We won't do it again. No, we will. We will. That's what that's what we do. We we'll, we'll let people down. Not just the fans or the supporters, but you, the sponsors. The most important thing about football. Just a moment's silence there for, for Gazprom. But look, it hasn't been great from an Arsenal point of view. It hasn't been great for any of us to watch. It hasn't been great for the manager. It hasn't been great for the players. It hasn't been great for uh, the majority shareholder, the chief executive. Um, and we're going to talk about those guys uh, in, in a little bit. We're also going to talk uh, about the Lincoln City game coming up this weekend. We have an FA Cup game against a non-league side, a quarter-final. It's a bit of an occasion, maybe not so much for us, but for them. And there's been so little focus on it because everything else is going on. Everybody's f- so full of ire and angst about what's happening. But we're going to we're going to talk about that game, and it's going to be another uh, fairly lengthy show. We've got three guests for you today as well, so uh, plenty of listening uh, to get you through whatever it is that you're trying to get through, whether it's work or a dog walk or a gym or just basically lying on your arse on the sofa listening to a podcast, it's all in here for you between now and the end of the show. And also, I'll give you the winner of the uh, the super kickoff football game as well. I'll give you that a bit later on. Thank you for all your entries there. Now, uh, first, to talk about Bayern Munich, to talk about Kroenke and Wenger and Gazidis and everything else that's going on, a man who's been uh, watching it at close quarters and writing about it this week as well for the Evening Standard, James Ollie, Welcome to the show. Oh yeah. Let's start with the Bayern game because for 53 minutes it was quite positive. Arsenal had played well, they'd taken the lead, they had chances. Then there's a red card and everything went to pieces. It was almost like a, a microcosm of the last six weeks of Arsenal's season within 90 minutes.
2: Yeah, and it's, you know, twice Lauren Koscielny leaves the field and twice Arsenal capitulate. Um, uh, look, I mean, they, they started the game about as well as they could have done, really. I thought they pushed Bayern back and. Um, I thought Theo Walcott deserved his goal particularly in the first half he was at the heart of everything that was good really and, um, and you sort of thought at half time that the worst case scenario here is they're going to restore a little bit of pride and I know we've, we've been down the road of glorious failure a few times before <laughs> but at least there was going to be a sort of morale boosting um, victory that give them a bit of a kick for the domestic running but um, as has been the case so often in the past a moment of adversity strikes and they don't know how to react there's no ability to either keep the ball for five minutes and just clear their heads or just show a bit of intelligence a bit of game management i suppose it's difficult in the from the point of view that obviously they had a mountain to climb in terms of the tie from you know before a ball was kicked mm. um last night but still you know to fall away as they did it was it was uh it, it was just every goal that went in it was a sort of dagger to Arsenal's heart i think after uh, you know the final sort of half an hour or so it was it was um it was a real shame to see how they unravelled once again.
1: Mm. It was kind of it was hard to watch in ways because you would hope that after, let's say, the, the the previous game against Bayern, when they let in some goals, and you were thinking just dig in, be a bit more uh, defensively stable, try and keep the score line down, and give yourself a chance. You know they they went looking for goals that they didn't need to get. In the circumstances uh, on Tuesday night, they were pointless. There was no need to to go gung ho, but it seems that that's really the only way that they know how to play. That the idea of of defending or the idea of just trying to make it difficult for the opposition, as you said, didn't even enter their heads.
2: There's a, you're right. There's a, there's a sort of default setting about this team that um, I mean. I remember in in, in the Alliance when it was three one and they were rocking, and you could tell, you know, it was it was. It was starting to really run away from them. I I, I tweeted out at the time to say, "This is where the players need to realise that three-one is not actually a terrible result. Okay, it's a defeat. Yes, it's a bad night, but this is a 180-minute tie. You don't have to try. I mean, okay, if you end up pulling back to three-two, fantastic. But get out of there with a chance of keeping the second leg, you know, alive and giving yourself a, a, a real live shot at making it through to the quarter-finals. But as we've seen so many times in the past I mean the ultimate example of that was probably Monaco when Mm. you know they they scored that goal right at the end again a 2-1 defeat is a bad result on the night but that goal gave them a, a little bit more of a uh, a of a foothold in the second leg, but they pulled forward in search of an equaliser, got caught, conceded the third goal and they and you know, it killed them in the tie. And once again they got into themselves into a position where, you know, as I say, even at three one down, it's a bad night, you lick your wounds and you and you but you come away from it thinking, well two 0 at the Emirates, it wasn't impossible. Could easily have been two 0 last night mm. after after an hour or so. Or well Selling at half-time, I guess maybe if they did have that, that penalty uh, penalty shout and Theo went down in the box, but they just time and again make the same mistakes. And uh, uh, you know, and, and and I've I've sat opposite Wenger most weeks for for, for ten years, and I, and, I, and I personally have a lot of admiration for the guy. I've never written Wenger out because I, I, I've never believed it. I don't think until maybe the last few weeks it, it, you run out of reasons to to defend him because. Ultimately, he's the constant, yeah. and these mistakes are made by different players, different teams with okay, not a great turnover in terms of backroom staff, but different assistant managers, different owners, different chief executives in the last sort of ten years or so. These are m- mistakes yeah. that keep happening, and he is the one constant, and and really all roads point back to him, and that and, and that I think is why we're where we are.
1: Yeah, and it is. It feels. It does feel as if we're at a, a tipping point. And I know that there have been moments in the past before where where things have felt as if, well, this could go um, in a fairly clinical direction. You know, I think back to that game when was it Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he took off and, and uh, put Andre Arshavin on and the stadium was singing and you were thinking, wow maybe this is the moment, maybe this is where things turn around. But, you know, the game against Liverpool, for example, was one where you wanted the team to be able to show that there was some fight to it. The game against Byron was a chance to restore some pride. There was no real chance of going through unless something remarkable had happened. But it it, it feels like he's unable to, to spark the, I guess, the, the traditional late, or second, uh, or late part of the season revival from an Arsenal team that's gone through a bad period.
2: Yeah, and I think I think the difference this time, you know, we, we we've seen Arsenal under the microscope a few times in the recent seasons, normally around this time of year. But the difference this time is is, is the rumours of unrest behind the scenes. And, yeah. Uh, you know that okay. we you've had players in the past. You have all listened to the Fabregas, Nasri, Van who forced their way out. And there's been a bit of animosity there. And probably near the end, they've they've fallen out with a few players. But it's generally been sort of kept under wraps. This is now a situation where um, you know he's essentially fallen out with his best player, and there are quite a few of the other players in the squad who aren't really happy with the way that Alexis and to a lesser extent Mesut Ozil, have been conducting themselves recently you know you speak to people around the place and they sort of suggest that these two are um sort of isolating themselves a little bit a little bit loners really in terms of um, bonding with the rest of the squad despite all of those pictures that you see on instagram and Twitter of them all you know laughing and joking together on a night out that's very much um the exception to prove mm. the rule if you like um increasingly so as a result of taking a downturn and and um that I think is the most alarming aspect of it for me, because we all know that the, the board structure is is, is as such that they won't put any pressure on on us, and they won't hold him to account as in a sort of conventional power structure as most other clubs operate. And I think still, even though the fan um, vitriol is, is 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 growing, I don't think it's reached the point yet where people want to see him hounded out because of everything. Of course, he's done for the club, particularly in his first. Decade in charge, so
1: yeah.
2: the key factor for me now is if he can't, if he can't unite the players, if he can't bring the players together and they're not all fighting in the same direction, then I don't, I don't know what he's got left to recommend him. Really, he's just a guy who's sort of, um you know, running on the fumes of the past, and 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 it's it, there's nothing currently. They're outside the top four at the moment. They look further away than winning the Champions League than, than they have done in a long, long time. Okay, the FA Cup. You know, it's still on, and you know, a, a third, third trophy in four years in that competition. I suppose is is a, is a one measure of success. But would second place and and the FA Cup be enough to appease the fans? Could could they paint that as progress? Mm. You, you'd struggle, really.
1: I might just come back to the board thing in a minute, but just going back to Alexis Sanchez and, and Mesut Ozil, I mean, he obviously had in his own mind. A very good reason to discipline Alexis Sanchez by leaving him out of a game that he knew as a manager was critically important for him, that he needed his team to win. And he knows that every time that, that Arsenal don't win, all the focus is on him and his future and everything else. I mean, does it speak to the dynamic within the squad or the football club at this moment in time that he wasn't really, he didn't have a great deal of conviction when he did it. You know, he left him out of the starting lineup, but by half time was sending him on in in a way to say, please help us save this game. Um, that perhaps the authority isn't there or the power shift is such, or his dependence on Alexis Sanchez as a player is such that he can't properly discipline him the way that he might feel he could have with another player, for example.
2: I think, I think the, the issue here is that, uh, Alexis's attitude has caused one or two problems in the camp recently. Now, I you know, you can you can there are various examples of this that are across the newspapers um of, of instances where he's ruffled a few feathers, but the, the the broad premise is this. His his behavior has has caused consternation among one or two others in the squad. When you've seen, I mean you've seen him publicly berate you know, other uh, teammates in when they've misplaced passes or given the ball away, or, or you know, played the wrong ball or wherever it may be. Um, that has, over time, I think, ruffled a few feathers. And, I, I, and my reading of this is that I think Arsene thought, "I'm going to side with the with the majority here, and I'm going to try and, in, in, for the sake of unity, I'm going to say, essentially, to Alexis, no one player is bigger than the club." The team needs to come together. We need we need eleven to, to perform here and get us a result at Hanfield. One guy as good as Alexis is, and he, he you know in the early part of the season he was he was magnificent in particular. You know he won't win this game on his own. We need we need a collective sort of action here. So I think he sided with 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 the rest of the squad, if you like, in that respect. And he thought, right, well, you know, go and show me a performance. Go and deliver without him. And time and again. When he's shown great faith in this group of players, they've let him down, you yeah. know. And he, I have one of the reasons why I have so much admiration for us, and is that he doesn't He doesn't ever ball his players out in public. Maybe he should. Maybe he should be a bit more critical of them in public. But he absorbs so much of the criticism himself, and yet these players have let him down. I mean, that that first half display. You, you can talk about at Anfield. I'm talking about. You can talk about tactics. You can talk about team selection. Whatever you like. They didn't work hard enough. They got outfought all over the pitch. And that, I'm sorry, isn't good enough if you, play for, well, if you play for any professional club, but particularly for Arsenal in that kind of game away from home, knowing what was at stake, and particularly knowing the backdrop of the situation where, you know, Arsenal had taken a stand by dropping his best player to say to the rest of them, look, if, you're, if, you, if, you're, if you think the inference is that he's criticising you because you're not good enough, go and prove him wrong. And they didn't. And the fact is, he didn't have to bring his best player on at half time to try and salvage it. So the message kind of probably got lost in the, in the whole melee. Game.
1: I mean, does that in itself not tell a, a, a story about the way things are? That the response that he wanted from them, and I'm and I'm sure that many of them wanted to give him a response, but it, it's not there. That the message that he's trying to impart to these players, whether it's tactical instructions, whether it's the way that they should approach the games. You know, Hector Bellerin said afterwards that they they weren't ready, despite having two weeks of uh, two weeks off basically before the game to prepare. For this massive fixture at Anfield, he said that they weren't ready. I mean, does that not, in some ways, come back full circle to Arsene Wenger and the way that the way that the squad is responding or not responding to him?
2: It's hard to to, to, to say something like this of a manager who was, was an innovator, in it, you know, when he first arrived in this country and, and you know really revolutionised the club. In terms of its infrastructure and, and the way they prepared for matches and managed themselves throughout the season, but yes, it, it, it can only reflect back on the manager. At any other club, at any other club, if there was this consistent record of, pl- of players basically turning up in first half as if they weren't ready or as if they didn't quite know their roles, yeah. or a bit kind of rabbit in headlights. You know, you think of that Liverpool game, you think of the Bournemouth game away from home, which is one of the worst first half so I think I've ever seen from Arsenal in the whole time covering them you know they I mean it was it was, embar- it was, it was an embarrassment mm-hmm. really um, and uh, you know and he's Arsenal's not hid from it in the sense of he said the players weren't physically ready or they weren't you know mentally switched on or whatever phrase he chooses to use and you just think well why what, what you know this is a guy who advocates a winter break, and yet he then complains about having twelve days off in the middle of the season. <laughs> uh, yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, this is, they had plenty of time, as you say, to, to just get some energy back in their legs. This wasn't a, this wasn't, you know, when people talk about the sort of habitual February March fall off. This wasn't a January that was overloaded with games for them actually, and they and they had a bit of time just by virtue of the quirks of the fixture list this season. And being out of the AFL Cup, of course, as well, to to just actually get some some energy back into their bodies and and really be able to to go full pelt into these matches. And mm. the fact that they're not responding for him, I mean, t- I think tactically things are looking a little bit dated. I think there just needs to be a fresh voice in there. I think Steve Bowles probably a, a little bit frustrated that he can't have more of a more of a say uh, in in the way that the team's set up and the way the team's prepared. I think it does need it does need somebody who's not an Arsene Wenger acolyte to come in and just shake things up. You know, whether you know, you can, uh, whether the manager should go is, is, is a sort of separate debate to this point. I just mean, if he was to stay, he would have to bring somebody else in. There needs to be a fresh voice in there. And somebody who's prepared to say, Arsene, no, I don't agree with this. Yeah. Actually, if you thought about this. The difference between Arsene and Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, you know, is something that I've written about a lot, is that he brought in number twos who challenged him he brought in Steve McLaren he had Brian Kidd he had Carlos Kuros in particular who was somebody around the turn of the millennium who um, and a treble went inside and then that, that when that side uh, moved on and, and uh, evolved it, suddenly they needed a, a new fresh face a new figure behind the scenes to, to reinvigorate and re-energise and Carlos Kuros was that guy and he was somebody who um, you know, Fergie actively encouraged to, to bring his new ideas in and to change things up and to freshen things around the training ground. Whereas Arsenal, I think, is very much more. Mm. No, this is the way I've done it. You know, I look at what I've won, and you can't really argue that. You know, so yeah, well, of course, you've won, you've won, you've won a double, you've won this, you've won that, but what have you won in the last 12 years and that, and that's 13 years that's the problem yeah um is that there isn't a voice in there that's pre- that's prepared or allowed to challenge him
1: well I think the the second thing you said there is is probably the key because it's impossible to imagine Arsene Wenger, uh bringing somebody in who might, I guess, challenge him or who he feels might undermine him or might complicate the message that he wants to get through. And we know he's like a very hands-on manager. He does all the all the training sessions himself. Uh, Ferguson was quite happy to delegate first-team training very often to these uh, assistant managers that that he brought in. So, I mean, I don't see that that's a solution that's in any way realistic for Arsenal uh, going forward. But I want to talk just a little bit uh, about the article you wrote on Wednesday um, about Arsene Wenger being the man, essentially, who's going to control his own destiny. And I think that's something I've spoken about on the podcast before, that it's essentially down to him to make the decision whether or not that he's going to stay, which is, by any standards, a remarkable thing for an organization the size of Arsenal that the board, the majority shareholder, the chief executive, they are not prepared to make those decisions, you know? And you talk about Stan Kroenke and he's, um, you say, uh, he's recoiled from en- engaging with the media. And to be fair to him, he you know, he never really did. The silent Stan moniker is, uh, has been there from the start. But Ivan Gazidis, over the last number of months, has been particularly and conspicuously quiet, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, Stan, uh, when, it, when he came in, Stan did a, wasn't that it wasn't straight away but he did a round table up at at london Colney with with a few a few of us um and his pr his american prs were were sort of accessible behind that's what i sort of mean by recalling recent recent times they've not really been even accessible just for just just to sort of chuck the odd thing their way it's been it's been a sort of steady decline if you like in communications and and yeah you're right i mean that's more probably visible with ivan i mean i've Personally, been trying to to encourage Ivan to to, to speak ideally to the Evening Standard, but you know to whoever it may be for for some time, because uh, you know whether you're Wenger in or Wenger out, the fact is his is the lone voice at that club, and and it's not. I don't think it's fair on him, really. I agree. I think he takes. I think he takes too much on him, and the problem is, is that when he looks powerless, when things go wrong, the club looks rudderless. And that isn't right. You know, the club will obviously be there long after Arson goes, as much as he shaped it in its current form. And there needs to be more of a, uh, you know... Ivan talks a lot about, and he's very proud of the fact that they don't have um, a sort of conventional power structure, that they, they operate this sort of... Um, r- for want of a better phrase, roundtable cooperation. So they don't, it's not as if, uh, you know, Arson says, I'd like to go buy this player. He goes to Ivan, Ivan goes to Stan, Stan mm. says yes, and it goes back down the chain like that. It doesn't operate as a chain of command at all. Mm. It's very much more, uh, you know, it's a situation where, you know, I, I mean, Arson was involved in, in appointing his own boss. You know, he was consulted <laughs> about Ivan before Ivan came in. He was clearly, you know, aware of Stan and, and the situation that was going on. I'm not saying he said yes or no to Stan coming in but he would have been aware of it you know and Stan came in very much predicated upon the idea of paying complete deference on the football side to Arsene so he's not about to come in and just say well okay actually now I've decided I know a lot about football he's quite open that he doesn't really know a lot about the game in terms of you know Understanding, pinpointing particular players or managers, he, he doesn't have a clear vision of, of that sort of thing. And, and, and Arsenal's quite happy to operate in that vacuum because it gives him the freedom and the license to go and do what he wants. But there needs to come a point where somebody has to be support either come out and explain why he is worth a, a new two-year deal, or come out and explain. The, the reasons why and, and the judgments that are going to be made against him between now and the end of the season. Because at the moment it's just Arson just a, a sort of lone voice in this sea of negativity, and he's getting overwhelmed by it. Mm. And as I say, whether you like him or you don't, he you're not hearing from anyone else. And this, it's just not—it's not how a club should be run. There should be somebody else standing. I mean, ideally standing alongside him, let's let's not forget there is this two year contract offer on the table. They want him to stay. Yeah. I think even if they finished outside the top four, they want him to stay. They have to come out and say why. It's not a hard thing. It's, it's, you know, it's board back manager. It's not exactly the most salacious story you've ever seen in your life. But you need to hear a vision of the club. You need. They just need to come out and just explain the reasons behind why that two-year contract is offer. uh, Offer has been on the table for months. Why it's still there when the growing number of supporters view is basically that he's, it's time for him
1: to move on. Mm, I mean look if they came out and said something along the lines of look we've given him a two year contract because we know that as a club we've got a lot of work to do to set ourselves up for the next generation of managers that are going to come and go through this club and aren't going to be there for 20 years or 21 years at a time. They're not going to have this legacy manager anymore. There's going to be a higher turnover of coaches. That's just the way that modern football operates. So in our opinion, the best way to do it is to give Arsene Wenger a two-year deal. And in those two years, we will appoint a director of football. We will add a sporting director. We will get a a top-class transfer guy. We will re, uh, rejig our scouting network, which is something that people have concerns about. And at the end of those two years, then we're in a great place to be able to move into the next phase of, of Arsenal. Uh, people might not like it, but at least it would display some kind of vision. But the, you can't help but uh, think that the reason that they're doing it is because that's the only thing that they can think of doing. That that's why that two-year deal is on the table.
2: Yeah, I, I, well, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think they. When they talk about succession planning, and Ivan, I've been in briefings with Ivan where he's he sort of suggested that yeah, you know, we, we, we've thought about it. We've, you know, it's, it's, it's all under control. Everything's fine, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that sort of thing. Without any any actual tangible detail or evidence to, to that effect, but I think they're aware that, that when, as and when Arsene does go, they, they'll need to appoint more than one person. You know, the way that that club exists at the moment, there will need to be a sporting director or. Um, ahead of uh, somebody who comes in on the recruitment side, or wherever it may be, there may be two or even three appointments made. I think when he goes, because they accept that there is a there's a level of restructuring that will need to take place, mm. um, just to kind of move move with the times, really, and, and reflect the fact that football clubs have changed their, their their structure on the football side of the commercial and the corporate side. You know, since he came in in 1996, so. Um, Look, what I personally would like to see happen, if he, if they want to keep him, if he's adamant about staying, and let's remember he is stubborn enough to stay. Arsenal is stubborn enough to see this out. <laughs> if he can find a possible scenario where he says, you know, say they finish second and they would so say they win every game from here, they would finish second, they win the FA Cup, and they beat Tottenham in the final, and it's you know, I could see a scenario where he says, right, you know, now two more years we kick on. I would like that two-year contract to be a one plus one contract and you say you've got one year and we will have the option to take you up for a second year.
0: Mm.
1: Because
2: what that says is, yes, we back you, but none of this long-term, you know, oh, two, three, four, five years down the line, you have to deliver next season. If you don't, we will not give you that option. Mm. Because what that does is it says to, it says to the fans, whether you like it or not, we are backing this manager, we are going to keep him but we are going to hold him to account. And quite frankly, if the same thing happens again next season, he will be gone. Mm. And then he knows where he stands. The fans know where he stands. And they're just, the power shifts from from all from Arsenal determining the time of his own departure to actually he has to deliver now because otherwise he goes, and they can still handle it. In the, you know, do we take up the option or not? You could still handle that with with a degree of um, maturity and class. You could say, you know, if if come this time next year or April next year that they're that they're safe with the win of the top four, but they're not going to win the league. You could say, right, that's it. You know, this this will be Arsenal's last season. We and then you can paint it up as we've mutually agreed or whatever. You know, however you want to dress it up, and then he can have his send off, his goodbye. And it, probably won't be how we want to go but it would be yeah. still respectful and the, the important point is the club would retain its its, its um, autonomy and its control of the situation and I think that's what it's missing at the moment to just sort of say oh Arsene here's two years please sign it if you don't I will think about something else yeah. that's not a way to run a football club. No
1: it's not and I, you know the thing is I don't think uh, either of the scenarios that we've uh, put forward are likely to happen in any way, um, so I mean it'll be interesting. I, what I would say is uh, keep trying with Ivan Gazidis because it really feels at this moment that they they do need to uh, communicate better with the fans and not just leave everything to uh, to Arsene Wenger. So it would be good to hear uh, what he has to say if you can uh, nab him for for an interview, James. We better leave it there though. Thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate the time. No it's a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter, at James Olly. That is at James Olly. And, of course, read his stuff in the Evening Standard. Now, there is a game this weekend, a big game, Arsenal versus Lincoln City. It might not seem like a big game to us, but it is for a non-league side who are in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and it's a, it's a great story. So, in a minute, we're going to talk to somebody with a Lincoln City perspective, but also with a bit of a, an Arsenal connection as well. And, as I said, we still have some Arsenal chat to come, but that's right after this. Arsenal Football Club today released a statement backing manager Francois Pisswhissel. The Frenchman is under increasing pressure after terrible results, but he received the backing of the board. Chairman Sir Chips Keswick said... You see, the thing is... Exactly. I can do an impression of a donkey. Listen. (coughs) Further calls to the press office were not answered
0: hi this is rachel fisher and this is desi jenikin and we host the hollywood crime scene podcast we're really excited to tell you about the best christmas ever on amc plus where every day feels like christmas morning From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.
1: Right. It's Arsenal versus Lincoln City in the FA Cup on Saturday. To my knowledge and uh, to the best of my recollection, this will be the first time that we have ever faced a non-league side this far, this deep into the tournament. It's been an amazing run for Lincoln City, a team that are in the, uh, in the National League. Uh, they've beaten some big opposition along the way to get there, and it's going to be uh, a fantastic day uh, for all concerned. So, to get a bit of perspective on that, I'm joined now by Richie Bates, and Richie, you are the media manager uh, at Lincoln City.
3: I'm commercial director, but close, Andrew.
1: Okay, commercial <laughs> director. All right, that's fine. Geez, what a way to start. Anyway, the other part of this, <laughs> the other part of this is that you are you're also an Arsenal fan.
3: Yes, massive Arsenal fan. So uh, regular <laughs> listener, Andrew. So. Uh, in particular, on the uh, Monday episodes with you and James, love it. So okay. <laughs> uh, the only problem is, over the last couple of months, due to our cup run, I've uh, missed out a little bit. Well, so, uh, yeah. yeah, but I've been listening last last year or two years. So uh, yeah, it's fantastic got, uh, job you guys
1: do. Oh, well, thank you very much, and glad to have you on the show. And obviously, it's an amazing thing for me to be able to talk to the commercial director of Lincoln City before <laughs> a game because the idea of Arsenal versus Lincoln City is. Uh, no, I won't say absurd, but it's unlikely that Lincoln are going to progress as far as they have uh, in the FA Cup. And to beat the opposition that you've beaten along the way, Oldham, yeah, Ipswich, yeah. Brighton, a Premier League team in the last round, in the fifth round you beat yeah. Burnley. I mean, everybody there yeah. must be on an amazing high.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's not just the club, it's the whole city. Um, it's just been encapsulated by the FA Cup run. Um, and then obviously we're top of the National League at the moment which is fantastic and we're in the semi-final of the FAE trophy as well Um, so the City and the club are on a massive high um, and to be honest we're obviously to the players but the uh, management you have of uh, Danny and Nicky Cowley are just they're just absolutely fantastic guys um, and an absolutely fantastic managers. so can't speak highly enough of them and they've transformed this club as soon as they came in. So I uh, can't speak highly enough of them.
1: How long have they been there? I mean, this is obviously the, the, the fruits of uh, a good bit of work, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they came in, um, I think it was about 1st of June, something like that, that they, uh, they started work here. And as soon as they started, you could see that there was, there was something special about them, um, that there was an aura about them. I've been around managers before, and there was just something about them that um, you could just see that we were going to go places. So I joined about six months before Danny and Nicky, um, and you could see that there was potential here, but them two coming in as you just totally transformed the club.
1: Uh, well, obviously that's evident in the in the results of, that you've gotten, the fact that you're in the, the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and you're about to face Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. Um You know, too often I think the media are dismissive of the FA Cup. You know, we know it's lost some of its luster in the last number of years, but it was quite a shame, I thought. Uh, This week, when Arsene Wenger had his press conference ostensibly to talk about this game because of things that are going on at Arsenal at the moment there was no question at all about the game against Lincoln and how in some ways it really encapsulates what is the magic of the cup that a, a yeah, club from the lower it. leagues can, can get this far and enjoy uh, a game at a stadium like the Emirates against a team like Arsenal and who knows what might happen
3: yeah I mean um, I'm taking to paraphrase our manager from a couple of weeks ago if people think that the magic of the FA cups dead they should just have a look at what it's done to this club and this city because it's like i said it's before it's it's absolutely transformed it so yeah it was it was a little bit uh, disappointing not to not to hear any uh, any talk about the game but obviously after the fallout of Bayern munich then mm. uh, you know it's going to be dominated by that anyway so uh, you know it was it was probably expected not to get highlighted but obviously today Um, Thursday, obviously, and uh, Friday as well. Um, Obviously, I imagine we'll be back in the media forefront. um, And as I've discussed with you this morning, uh, it's been uh, a lot of media attention down here at Central Bank. Um, And I'm just looking out over uh, in the executive boxes at Central Bank and it's looking at the cathedral in the background, lovely lit up and uh, yeah, it's a bit quiet here. But a few hours ago, there was every media outlet going it was at Central Bank and they all wanted to speak to Danny and Nicky
1: Cowley. So what's the mood like within the, 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 I won't say the city because you can't really speak to that. Obviously, everyone there and everyone, every Lincoln fan is undoubtedly very excited. But within the Lincoln camp, within the squad, the, the managers and the players, I mean, how are they looking at this one? Obviously, it's a, it's a huge stage for them, uh, massive underdogs, of course. But, uh, you know, in games like this, they go into it with, with nothing to lose. Is there is there an air yeah, of confidence?
3: Yeah, I think they'll be... I think they're they're confident in any challenge they take on, and that that obviously comes from the management duo of of Danny and Nicky. But, um, yeah, you know, they do realise that they're playing the Arsenal, um, and they they are from Lincoln City. But, like I said, they're not going into it in a negative mindset. They're going in, um, and it's 11 against 11, and anything can happen. And we've seen that over the years in the FA Cup, and obviously this season with us. So... They won't be fearful of anyone at all um and some of the uh, some of the players are obviously the ones that I'm close with we've spoke to this morning and they're just really excited to go um and it's uh, danny and Nicky's job to um to try and keep them on a the little head, which like I said before they're fantastic managers, so I'm sure they'll be able to do it um but we've got to try and concentrate on the league as well um because it's only Two that come out of the National League into League Two, so that's a Mm. difficult challenge to try and keep the players motivated for that. And then next week, we've got two legs of the semi-final in the FA Trophy against York City as well, which is the local derby for us. Um, So there's a lot of fixture congestion at the moment, obviously, because of the two cup runs. But um, like I said, the guys here are doing a a brilliant job um, to to go for three trophies at once, really. So it's... uh, yeah, they're doing a brilliant job at the moment. All
1: right. Well, look, I can't, I can't say that I know a huge amount about Lincoln City from a footballing point of view, and I obviously don't want you uh, to compromise your position there by telling me how they're going to play sure. and, and what the tactics are and and who's playing and uh, you know. But what, what what can we expect from Lincoln? What is the style of football that has been so successful this season?
2: I'd say it was
3: mixed, um, so they can they can combat against any sort of aerial or or a passing team I'd say like I said it I'd I'd say it was quite a mixed team and they they're good at the majority of things and the best compliment I can pay uh, pay to um, the club here is that they're they're a real team Um, I know it's a bit of a cliche but there's a Mm. real togetherness with this group of players it's quite a young group but they've got um, great experience added in there as well Um, Jamie McCoon being one who's played at Really high, high level. Um, Jimmy Walker who's a goalkeeping coach. He played at West Ham and unfortunately Spurs. Um, so <laughs> he's 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 got a, a great pedigree as well. And it's just like I said, there's a real togetherness about the players and, and the backroom staff as well. Um, they're a small, tight knit group. Um, and like I said, I could not compliment them enough. That there's just the real fighters, Andrew. That's the, that's the biggest thing about them. Yeah. Um, the very solid team. Um, and Danny Nicky, uh you know, of encapsulated the team themselves and, and re-energized them. So, uh, so yeah, it should be a really, really good game. I think. I don't think it'll be a foregone conclusion in any NNA matters at all. Right? So, not, not the um, way yeah, I'm ar- really excited.
1: Not the way Arsenal are playing at the moment as well. No.
3: Um, oh God. I mean, I um, <laughs> I walked out when Kashani got sent off. So I'm a terrible loser. But as soon as he got sent off, that was it. That was my no. head had
1: gone. Well, look, tell me, are there any, uh, just uh, very quickly, any any standout players, any danger men that we should keep an eye on? I mean, has there been a hero through this cup run that that uh, um, could make a name for himself again?
3: Not, not a specific hero, but because I wouldn't want to downgrade any of the players. I think it's sure. been a, okay. a team effort, and that's the way that Danny and Nicky always look at it, it's a team effort. Um, Matt Reed is one that will always flag up, because um, he's a big old-school number nine, but he's got a fantastic touch. Um, and he's a great lad as well. So uh, Matt Reed's one to look out for, um, and he's the big number nine. So Arsenal fans should should fear him. He's a bit of a Kevin Davis.
1: All oh, right. Yeah. Uh, hopefully so, not with uh, the same Matt, elbows.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Matt's not like that at all. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a fantastic player, and I think he scored twenty four goals last year. So uh, yeah, he's got some great. He's he's very very talented.
1: Okay, well, look, I'm not going to say anything, uh, patronizing or, uh,. L- I'm not going to say anything patronising like enjoy the day because, it, you know, it goes beyond yeah, that, I think. Sure. When a team does as well as Lincoln have done to get to the uh, to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, they deserve a lot more respect than that. So, um, yeah, sure. you know, from my point of view, I, I, I know where I uh, want the game to go. Um, how are you feeling? Your loyalties must be slightly divided. Um, <laughs> you can metal, say, I mean, probably. We did, a, can we did
3: a poll at home, so... Uh... I went back to mum and dad's, my brothers was there, all of us massive Arsenal fans. My dad said, right, who's supporting Lincoln, who's supporting Arsenal? And it was only one of the brothers that said Arsenal. All the rest of us said Lincoln. All and right. then the, uh, <laughs> the other brother got picked out of the room. So, to be honest, <laughs> it means a lot more to this club. Uh, and obviously, because I'm entrenched in the day-to-day running of the club and, uh, you know, seeing the, the good work that goes on behind the scenes and being close to the players and the management and stuff like that, it means more. If, they, if, if Lincoln win but it's, it's going to feel weird um, Yeah, Lincoln playing against Arsenal but like I said um, yeah I'm not really that torn as bad as that sounds so I'm, I'm totally behind Lincoln
1: uh, Absolutely professional in your outlook there I like it Richie we'll, we'll leave it there but let's hope it's a great day and a great game and uh, thank you very much for your time
3: Yeah well thanks for having us Andrew like I said I'm a big uh, big fan of you, uh, what you guys do especially on the Monday with you and James so uh, yeah thanks for having me
1: There you go. That was Richie Bates, who is the uh, commercial director for Lincoln City Football Club, who will be turning up at the Emirates on Saturday with nothing to lose, knowing that whatever happens, uh, there's no expectations, no pressure on them. And given the way things have been going for Arsenal, all the pressure is on us. So, you know, it could be a really great cup tie. Obviously, I hope it's uh, an absolute thrashing for Arsenal magic of the cup for me is uh, scoring lots of goals and winning the game and getting through to the next round. That's more magical than, than anything else, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. But look, last week I gave you the chance to win a game for uh, PlayStation 4. It was super kickoff, and all you had to do was send me an email and tell me that you wanted the game, and the winner... As drawn by the random number generator is Adrian Lightly. Well done to you, Adrian Lightly, who says, uh, please enter me into the draw. I'd love to win and introduce my eight-year-old to the wonderful world of retro footy games. Well, good luck with that, because I imagine that Davey, he'd be going like, what? uh, No, Dad, I just want to play FIFA. I want to be messy. What's this? They're upside down. You can only see them from the top. What is that? So uh, well done to you, Adrian Lightly, who is probably going to play that game all on his own, but that's not a bad thing. And if you do play it and you catch the uh, Arse blog or Retro Asylum uh, advertising hoardings in the game. Send us a picture if you can grab it. That would be great. Send us a picture on Twitter, and we'll uh, we'll share that around. And for the rest of you, thank you very much indeed for your entry. Sorry that you didn't win. And if you're interested in the game, it's on the PlayStation Store. It's only nine ninety nine. So Dino Dini's Kickoff Revival. Search for that. Search for Kickoff. It'll come up uh, straight away. Nine ninety nine. Come on! I'm sure you could think of a hundred ways that you'd spend a tenner and waste a tenner. So why not pick up that game? It's on the uh, PlayStation Store. Right. A bit more Arsenal chat on the ArsCast now, because it has been one of those weeks. There's a lot going on, and we've barely scratched the surface, I think. So to talk about some more stuff, I'm delighted to welcome to the show a contributor to the Gooner Ramble podcast, Clive Palmer. Hello there. Hey, thanks for having me. Can't wait. Let's see what we're going to talk about. All right. Okay. You're making it sound much more exciting than it's probably going to be. But hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start by, by talking about the the comment from the Arsenal chairman. It wasn't a statement per se. It was released as a comment from the Arsenal chairman. And previously, earlier in the show, we were talking to James Olley about Stan Kroenke and Ivan Gazidis and how quiet they've been. But... Uh, The club have made some kind of statement, so I'm going to read it out. Um, They say, We are fully aware of the attention currently focused on the club and understand the debate. We respect that fans are entitled to their different individual opinions, but we will always run this great football club with its best long-term interests at heart. Arsene has a contract until the end of the season. Any decisions will be made by us mutually and communicated at the right time in the right way. Can I ask you what you make of that?
4: It sounds a bit to me... Well, it's a bit belated, in my opinion. I think they've left him out there to dry, hanging out to dry for quite a long time. I mean, we talk about doing things the Arsenal way, but as, as a employee of our club, I felt they've really watched him suffer for way too long without saying anything about right. his current situation. Um, and the statement feels like one of those... Um, very elitist statements to say uh, by the way we're in control we know what's going on we're aware there's been a few people jumping around with a four bits of paper and um by the way we'll come to a decision at a time when we're ready and we'll do it together in in our way which i don't think goes to any further lengths to bring us closer to the club Mm. you know there's a it doesn't connect us and i think there's a you know i'm not the only one to say this so i'm not being you know massively uh, controversial here there's a lack of connection isn't there there's a lack of connection between us and where the club are going the expectation gap is getting is getting larger and there's a level of opaqueness and a, and a lack of clear strategy coming from the club so when there is those you know lack of key pillars to hang on to what we do as a, as a fan group is we create our own expectation levels fill the gaps the ourselves like yeah, exactly. And when the club doesn't meet us, we we voice our opinion in different ways. And Some do it calmly, some do it less calmly, and some do it very vociferously. And um, as an online community, as you know, Arsenal is massive. And um, in different ways, our opinion is getting out there. And to say the club is finally saying we're aware, well, I bet they are aware. And I bet they, they should be really concerned.
1: Do you feel like that statement is one which indicates, because we know there's this two-year deal on offer to Arsene Wenger, that that's there from Ivan Gazidis and, and Stan Kroenke. They're the ones that have made him that offer. Um, does it feel to you like they're saying, look, the future is decided, but we're aware of how tetchy things are at this moment in time. We're aware that announcing what the future is going to be wouldn't go down particularly well at this moment in time, so we're going to hold fire. And when things pick up a little bit, which they, you know, inevitably do with Arsenal, we have these little troughs, and then we peak again. And everyone will feel a bit better about things, you know, when we win a few games. That then it's the time when they're going to they're going to announce that the the future is what it, what the present is.
4: Yeah, I think they're trying to manage the moment, right? They know that we're going through a bit of turmoil. They're trying to manage the moment because, you know, the most important thing is the next game. And um, they're trying to get calm things down just a touch to say, calm this down. Let's get the next win. We have a little break and then we've got another game coming up. So I think they're just trying to manage the moment. You can look at the statement in two different ways. You can say, okay, this is potentially a, a group of guys that know each other very, very well, that are very comfortable with each other, that are looking after each other and preparing the ground for f- the future and maybe a future resigning of contract or you could look at it and say well actually they they've noted there's some turmoil and they've made some they've made a statement which is pretty bland which is very well written from a legal perspective very tight which could be looked at in many different ways and said well actually something could happen that so gives enough for people who think potentially he may stay and also enough for people who think <laughs> maybe the time's coming when he could go yeah. without actually committing either way right so it just leaves us further debate and further conversations amongst mm. ourselves.
1: So at his press conference yesterday, Arsene Wenger said he was asked specifically if fans protests or if the protests from fans would be something that he paid attention to when it came to making the decision about his future. And I think, you know, this this um, This thing that the club are saying in that statement where they say, you know, it'll be mutually decided, you know, I don't buy that at all. I think it's Arsene Wenger who will make the decision. Uh, But he was asked, would protests make any difference to him or would he take those into account? And he said, yes, he would. He said, you know, it wouldn't be the most important thing, uh, but it it would be something that he paid attention to. Um, I mean, what, what did you make of that? I mean, it's certainly... I won't say opens the door, but it it encourages, in some ways, people who do want change, to protest more vociferously or more loudly, um, if they that's genuinely true. think that that is going to have an impact on Arsene Wenger's thinking. Now, whether whether he does pay attention to that or not, that's that's another question. He says he does. I'm not necessarily convinced. But certainly, it might spark a little bit more energy into some of the protests. It may do. I think
4: um, he, when he said he would take note of the um, the protests, he saw it was like a a five second silence, as if to say, "What have I just said? Because (laughs) have I now given, you know, have I now legitimised more protests? Because I'm going to take into account." And then he sort of backed out and sort of said, "It's not the only thing I'm going to take into account." So I actually think, you know, Wenger's mantra when he goes into press conferences is not to make issues bigger. I think that was the mistake he made today, actually. I think he gave the press that line. They ran with it straight away on Sky. And to me, he's literally almost repeating what, because he just said many years ago that fans will decide my fate. And so... You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the protesters, but, you know, they've got their opinion and and their case, and there's some people that feel very strongly about this and fair fair play to them. But if I was one of those guys, I'd be thinking, right, there's nothing there he said to make me think I should tone down my behaviour. In fact, I can see these protests potentially growing at the weekend.
1: Yeah, and look, it, it is down to what's happening on the pitch, isn't it? Because protests, they strike a chord with people much more easily. They resonate when results have been as bad as they've been over the last uh, number of weeks obviously what happened against Bayern Munich in both games Chelsea and Watford you know it's it's been a difficult time for the club so it's it's easy for those protests to uh, to reach people whereas if the team is performing better than it is it's it's a bit more difficult and that's the challenge that he's got isn't it to sort of quiet down the complaints which aren't just based on those games as a sort of weight of, uh, uh, weight with regards to the whole football side of things. He's got to get his team performing again.
4: He has, and maybe well, we have been here before. We've been through slumps before. We've been through points where we felt this is it. This is the moment where there's going to be some change. But then something always happens, and we bounce back, and a few good results, and, and then the pain goes away, and we continue. And I've been trying to think back through myself and think what's different this time? I think what what's slightly different is the is maybe the potential what's happening in the dressing room. I think previously nothing ever came out. It was just results weren't good. We didn't like the manager for a short period. Results got better. We moved on. We we normally wanted more players. We got no players. We, we're sort of happy to continue. But this time we're seeing some real turmoil amongst the players. Mm. And that's the difference. You know, we're seeing dressing room splits potentially. We're seeing players more or less saying to the press they want to move on. And one of the biggest things for me when I look at the team, I mean, we win games, we lose games. But I always want Arsenal to be a place where people want to be. I always want it to be a place where the employer of choice, when there's a good young player comes available, we're the place they want to come to. We, you know, if we want to get someone like, say, for example, an Obama Yang, do you think a player like that would want to come to Arsenal right now?
1: Mm.
4: No, no way. Mm. Why would you trust your career to this environment, to this culture? And that, you know, if I'm if I'm on the board and I'm looking at the sustainability of this club going forward, I've been looking at indicators like that. Is this the place where people want to be? Is this the place where people want to re-sign contracts? Why are we having to offer massive contracts to players that haven't earned it? to keep them here. And that tells me we are not moving in the right direction. And so this is why I think more more so than any previous time there's been demonstrations, people feel very, they feel correct about, about moving that direction. And I can't sit there and say 1,000% that they're wrong to feel that way. I, I just can't because there's t- too many examples of people
3: mm.
4: turning us down, not wanting to be here, Missing out on certain transfers, and I just don't see that as a as a growth measure. And I just feel we're getting smaller as a club.
1: That's a really uh, that's a really interesting point. Actually, you know, when you talk about the the whole environment, like you know, uh, he spoke at his uh, press conference about the the kid at Monaco, Kylian Mbappe, and yeah. you're going. Uh, he's talking about him being the next Thierry Henry. And it's exciting to think of a player that could be the next Thierry Henry. Uh, you know, an Arsene Wenger obviously knew Thierry Henry as an 18-year-old, and is looking at this kid and seeing similarities, and the, it goes off in your mind. Oh my God! Imagine, imagine if you know. And then exactly. you're going well. Of all the choices that that guy has got coming to him this summer, if he decides to leave Monaco, you know, do you do you join a club where the manager? has just about held on to his job despite fan pressure? Do you join a club where Alexis Sanchez has decided that he wants to leave? Mesut Ozil perhaps has decided that he wants to leave. And even what I find um, maybe a little bit more worrying than than Ozil and, and Sanchez is that someone like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, yeah. it's clear that from what his people have been saying to the press over the last couple of days, it's clear that he feels that he's not going to... Uh, continue with the club, or he doesn't want to at this point. That even if Arsenal came to him with a big money deal, now he wouldn't sign it. That was what those stories were saying. And you ask, well, why haven't Arsenal tied down Oxley Chamberlain to a new deal? I mean, if you can, if you can hand deal after deal to someone like Theo Walcott, who had similar developmental issues as as Oxley Chamberlain. You know, do you give up on uxley chamberlain at this point? Uh, you look at Wilshire, you look at Gibbs, you look at Chesney. Lots of players heading into the final 12 months of their contract. The managerial situation up in the air. And it, it looks from the outside and probably from the inside um, chaotic.
4: Exactly. We look vulnerable right now. So yeah. our, our good players... I mean, and I think, you know, my opinion, Oxlade-Chamberlain, to me, this has been this has been something waiting to happen. He's well into his last two years. And of all the players in their last two years, he's actually turned around, looked at his game, looked at his goals and assists. He's improved his numbers. He's moved positions. He's been left, right. And he's now flourishing in the centre. It's taken four years to work out as a centre midfielder, when it's been obvious to me for about, for, for ages. <laughs> and And... We finally get him to some form of consistency. Oh, guess what? He's only got like right, less than eighteen months in his contract. If you were him, and this is a really painful question, right? If you were him, would you sign? I mean, would you sign? And 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 two months ago, people were saying send him out on loan, right? So things can change very very quickly. But to me, he's a talent, that and he has what I call fear factor. He makes oppositions feel different when he has the ball. We have too many passive nice players that don't make the opposition fear us. And if Alex oxlade chamberlain goes on the market, he will not be going to a smaller club. And that tells you how good he is. So regardless of what people think of his talent, the market will tell you how good he is. And let's see what happens if he goes on sale and where he goes. And, and that'll be the real indicator to how we've mismanaged him and misjudged him over the period of time.
1: Can, can you... Put a finger on why you think Arsenal haven't opened contract negotiations with him, um, because you know they bought him at seventeen years of age. He's still only twenty-three. He's still yeah. a guy who's about to about to mature and has got what seven. To nine years of of good football ahead of him, when you put those six years of injury hit seasons of of learning his trade, of uh, banging him all around the pitch, trying to figure out where he fits, um, you know, when as you say, the best performances that he has had in an Arsenal shirt have nearly all come as a, as a central midfield player. So why has there been no effort whatsoever to at least secure the investment that we made in him in terms of time, in terms of training, in terms of coaching, so that if it doesn't work out in the next year or so, you still have that cushion of a number of years of contract so you can get a, you know a really good price for him? I think, to
4: be fair to Venga, he's always he's always played him when he's been available. Most of the time, he's always played him in most of the big games. I think back to the Barcelona game the, the other year or so, he played him in that game to many people's surprise. I think he I think he trusts his talent, but it's a, there was a statement that came out about taking him for granted, and I sort of get that. I think he feels well, he's always going to be here. I don't need to worry about him, mm. but I will pander to. Mesut Ozil, I'll make sure I get Koscielny, and Giroud done. But I'm not going to speak to Alex Ostane-Chamberlain. Well, last time I looked, and he has been for the last couple of months, he's been our best player. And he's done it. I always look at the opposition he's done it against. So he started to show signs against weak opposition in, in, um, in the EFL Cup, etc. But he's done it against Bayern Munich. And he was statistically the best player on the pitch. And if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. And to let that situation get to this point, it's just another manifest- manifestation of, I, I think, poor player development and poor player management, and not recognising the talents that you have, and and maximising their potential via systemic changes and manipulating and managing your squad properly. Mm. And and he's been questioned at that, and he and he doesn't like it, but I can't say it's not fair because you know, losing Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain would be, in my opinion, more damaging than losing a superstar player to decide he doesn't want to stay here anymore. Why? Because he's somebody that's been here for many, many years. He's been nurtured in our way. He's been educated in our way of football. And then he's come to a conclusion that there's something better. This is not someone that we brought over from South America or Spain or Germany that maybe doesn't feel this is could be his home. It's just a, it's just a stepping stone to somewhere else. This is somebody that should be fully entrenched in the Arsenal way. And he he's showing a lack of confidence and belief in what we are doing with him. Yes. And that's really poor for future young players coming to Arsenal, whether they be the Mbappis of this world, or whether they be the youngest players of this world. Because mm. what, what he's saying is, don't trust your career to them.
1: Go somewhere else. But yeah, it's hugely damaging. So Yeah, but I mean, how do, how do we then tally what Arsene Wenger says? I rate Oxley chamberlain I want him to stay. I mean, he said that four or five months ago as well. There still hasn't been any indication from the club that they want him to stay. And as a player, when you're heading towards the final 12 months of your contract... Um, you know, let, let's uh, as intelligent and smart as they all are, they also want to feel wanted. Yeah. And if you're at this point in your career at 23 years of age at a club like Arsenal, and they're not making any effort to secure your future, why wouldn't you look somewhere else?
4: Yeah, I don't blame him. And, and he's one of the players who's actually shown a lot of his personality to us on, online, etc. He's got a personality. He seems very keen in the dressing room. He's got a good spirit about him. I I think he. To me, he feels well liked, um, mm. and it, it's it's strange. It's strange. I think it would have took minimal effort to keep him. I'm not saying he's done. He's going, and I'm, they can turn this around very quickly. But I don't think it would take him much to keep him. Just put your arm around him and tell him that he's a good player, and and give him the money that he deserves. I mean, I believe his agent is a similar agent to Raheem Sterling, so that guy knows how to cause trouble if he really wants to. Right, so we have to be careful with this asset, and it looks like potentially we could lose it, and that'd be a shame.
1: Mm. And he wouldn't be alone, obviously. Wilshire, Gibbs—you know—it feels like there's a, it feels like there's a very big summer coming up for Arsenal Football Club, one way or the other. Now, whether things improve to the point where Arsene Wenger decides that he's going to stay, that's going to be a big thing. I don't think it's going to go down well with everyone. Uh, if he goes, it's absolutely seismic. The work that has to be done to put in place uh, a replacement, not just a replacement manager, but the structures uh, that need to be put in place behind the scenes, the director of football, the sporting director, the transfer fixer, the scouting department, all these things that will need to be uh, upgraded uh, for the club to flourish in in, in the new Uh, In the new footballing uh, landscape that we exist in, you know, and then on top of that, you've got the two superstar players whose futures are absolutely up in the air. I think, you know, if I had to put any money on it now, I'd put money on Sanchez going and Mesut Ozil, who I would have been more confident about three or four months ago. Now I would also be leaning towards out. All these players uh, heading towards 12 months left of their contract. There are still issues with the team that need to be worked out. There's a midfield that needs to happen. You know, we're, we're heading for a, a, a busy time one way or the other. Yeah, there's not many
4: positives there. And, and we're coming to a, a massive, what I call people renewal period. And we're probably a couple of years overdue, actually. We've got a very heavy squad. We kept a lot of players on. Way too long, in my opinion. And we haven't renewed our people. And we haven't renewed our coaches. We haven't renewed our sporting structure. So all we have is this one guy doing three or four jobs. And it was quite interesting. In the press conference yesterday, they were talking about the academy director. And they asked him, are you going to be part of that process? And he straight away, bristled and said
1: yes. yeah," As if to say, well, why wouldn't I be? Yeah, but why should he be? I mean, this is an appointment that should that should be made to exist long beyond Arsene Wenger. I mean, look, if he wants to have his his uh, his input on it, I guess if he you know knows people in football, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, but it's sort of an
4: indicator, isn't it, of the people that say he does too many jobs at Arsene and also right an
1: indicator that he you know his his in terms of his own mind, the future for him isn't away from Arsenal.
4: Exactly. I mean, he just went straight away, He flicked into his default behaviour and just said yes. And, I, and I, I'm looking at this and, and I, I like the analytical side of the game and the coaching side of the game. And I yearn for a coach to be on the sideline that has to win, that cares about every single yard on the football pitch rather than cares about every single pound in the boardroom mm-hmm. and we're in strategic direction. And that's what I yearn for. I I worry a little bit that Wenger sees himself as so central because that tells me that the club that we all love may not be as strong people-wise and structure-wise without him. You know, no one ever thinks that maybe he wants to stay because he knows there's nothing else there. Is that his fault? Is that the club's fault? I don't see too many, apart from that short statement, I don't see too many other people standing by his side supporting him. They're just leaving him there. And I worry about the destruction the and the vulnerability and the, and the size of our club. I think it's almost a little bit like emperor's clothes and we're dependent on one man. And that single point of failure is staring us in the face. I would love to see a different sporting structure. We have a good corporate structure, but a sporting structure. And I'd love to see a renewal of our coaches and people around the sporting side of things. To reset our mentality, because that's what I think we need. We need that reset of mentality to be that employer of choice against, to say to young players like Mbappé and say, well, I want to go to Arsenal because I know what they're trying to achieve. I know they want to win. I trust my career with that club.
1: Well... Let's see. Um, I think we're a a bit away from that, unfortunately. But uh, (laughs) uh, look, you know, whatever else, it's going to be interesting. Um, So we'll uh, we'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out. Clive, it was uh, great to talk to you. Thank you very much, indeed. Pleasure, all mine. Thanks. Good stuff from Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. That is at Clive P-A-F-C. So, what are we left with? A game against Lincoln City tomorrow. An FA Cup quarter final. A chance to get to Wembley. Even though I think Wembley for a for an FA Cup semi final is a big plate of shit. That's what it is. Should only be the final that's played at Wembley have the semifinals in neutral grounds the way they used to. But, of course, the, uh, the commercial people, the marketing people, the uh, people that sell fireworks to Wembley, they're the ones that make the decisions these days. But uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We do have to win this game against Lincoln City. And ordinarily, I would say this is probably going to be a routine win. But um, when it comes to Arsenal right now, anything that happened would not be a surprise to me. There is no scenario in a game or off the pitch or at board level or with the manager or with any player that could occur that would make me go, oh my God, it just, there's nothing, anything at all could happen. And I would just simply accept that as part and parcel of being an Arsenal fan now. So, I'm not gonna make any predictions. I'm pretty sure we've got enough in our locker to, uh, to do away with another non-league side like we did uh, in the last round. And, you know, on an actual football pitch, that might suit us a bit better too. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. I, I hope that's the case. The idea of anything other than that is just, it's, uh, ludicrous and absurd. But then, as I said, that will be the life of Arsenal. That would be what Arsenal can do to you and to me and to everybody else. So uh, so we'll see. But anyway, whatever happens, James and I will be here on Monday to uh, to look back on it all with an Arscast Extra. Hopefully we've got, you know, some goals and a good win. And uh, maybe, I don't know when the semi-final draw is taking place. Um, uh, I should just have a quick Google around there and just see if I can find that out. Maybe we'll know on Monday morning, so... The FA Cup draw take place. And bleh, OK, uh, it seems to be taking place on the BBC on Monday, Monday evening, because uh, Chelsea and Manchester United are hopefully going to kick the ever-loving shit out of each other uh, on Monday evening. And one of those teams will go through. And after that game, I think uh, the FA Cup uh, semi-final draw is. So we'll know on Monday night uh, who we're going to play in the semi-final if we get to the semi-final. Yes. All right, folks, Uh, have yourselves a great weekend. Thank you, as ever, for listening. Remember, you can subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Blog or ArseCast. Subscribe and get every episode as soon as it is released. Subscribe in iTunes. Please give us a rating or a review in iTunes. That would be very helpful. It helps us up the iTunes charts and gives us a bit more visibility. And obviously, the more people that are listening, the better. And you can also find all the uh, episodes and all the archives on our Acast page, which is acast.com. Forward slash arsblog. That's acast.com forward slash arsblog. Um have a great weekend. I'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. 2012.
5: Now, often in a football club setting, the dynamic that's set up is the manager is over here taking, trying to take care of results. And the board will sometimes brief against a manager in order to say to the fans, we understand what you're feeling. And that's very tempting at times. I wish I could explain it to our fans how much we care about what happens on, on the field. But what we don't do, and I think it's tremendously frustrating, is Arsene does not create division with his players, and we do not create division with our manager. And so what you consistently see is this unified front. And sometimes, I think fans take away from that, you don't see the obvious. Or, you know, you're not challenging. People do care. People do challenge each other. People are not complacent. We are driving ourselves as a football club, as people within this club, every single day to be as good as we can be.
0: This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy.